Welcome to Sanctions Plus, the show that transports you to different regions around the world to explore culture, politics, and more, and learn a bit about developments in the sanctions world in a fun new way. Brought to you by Denton's International Trade Team. The views expressed are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Denton's. This podcast is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Our goal is to introduce you to friends of Denton's who have fascinating skills, knowledge, and talents, and to learn more about the world we live in. In the process, we'll share how some of today's sanctions developments might impact the world beyond business and politics. Hi, Sharzad. How are you? Hi, Milana. Happy Monday. Today's topic is our sanctions year in review. Uh, it would be great if you could provide a little bit of background about what our sanctions year in review is and then what we're going to discuss within the report. Sure. Our sanctions year in review is an annual report we put together at Dentons that covers the recent highlights, developments, most notable enforcement actions, and forecasts for relevant year. For this year, one of the major topics that overtook all of our headlines, be it in the sanctions world or in the news generally, was Russia. So, Milana, take it away. Итак, русские санкции в 2023 году. What, Milana? Oh, you want me to speak in English? Uh, here you go. So, in 2023, the United States continued to impose changing sanctions on Russia and Russian nationals around the world. We have seen a lot of blocking sanctions. And to remind our listeners, blocking sanctions are similar to asset freeze, where U.S. persons are prohibited to deal with persons placed on OFAC's special designated nationals and blocked persons lists and their property and interest in property. We've seen these blocking sanctions against a few Russian banks, members of Russian financial elite, vessels, and major players in the Russian military and industrial sector. We saw in 2023 the U.S. imposing the price cap sanctions for the first time and blocking vessels and their owners for transporting Russian origin oil sold above the set price cap. To remind you, the price cap rules were imposed by a coalition of allies prohibiting persons to provide certain services in relation to Russian origin crude oil and petroleum products sold at above $60 per barrel. I think one of the other major trends we saw this year was U.S. authorities targeting of non-U.S. persons who engaged in evasion of U.S. sanctions, specifically with respect to Russia. That involved targeting companies and individuals in third countries outside of Russia who engaged in facilitating the provision of otherwise prohibited goods or transactions with respect to Russia. And those companies were by and large in countries like Turkey or Turkey, as we're now supposed to call it, the UAE and China. I think in 2024, we can expect to see additional focus on third country companies engaging in transactions that are targeted by U.S. sanctions vis-a-vis Russia. And also what seemed important to me was authorizing imposition of sanctions against foreign financial institutions facilitating significant transactions 
involving Russian military industrial base. What was significant about that, besides that it's new, was that now even transactions denominated in non-U.S. currencies are potentially sanctionable. So one of the other major highlights that we saw in 2023 was the U.S.'s implementation of a limited relaxation of sanctions on Venezuela in October 2023. And this relaxation followed the signing of what came to be called the Barbados Agreement or Accord between the Maduro government and the opposition. And the agreement included a roadmap for what the U.S. deemed to be a path towards free and fair elections in Venezuela. As a result of these positive developments, the U.S. eased sanctions on various sectors of Venezuela's economy, most notably its oil and gas sector, specifically via the issuance of General License 44. So GL 44 authorizes all transactions prohibited by the Venezuela sanctions regulations, including, importantly, transactions with PDVSA and its 50% or greater subsidiaries that are related to oil and gas sector operations in Venezuela. This authorization includes activities like production and sale of oil and gas and services related to such production and sale, among numerous others. Notably, however, the general license is subject to certain pretty stringent conditions. For one, it's significantly limited in duration, so it's only valid until April 18, 2024, as of now. And the U.S. has been very clear about the fact that any renewal of the general license would be contingent on the Maduro regime's upholding its end of the bargain to continue towards a more democratic electoral process. Then there are other conditions. Notably, the general license does not authorize transactions that are prohibited by other Venezuela-related EOs. As I noted, I don't want to oversell how important this is because there are significant limitations and conditions on the GL, but it is an important step and it does open up the way to more Venezuela oil-related activity. And last but not least... Notable development in the last year was U.S. sanctions targeting China. The U.S. administration issued a new executive order that started rulemaking process to develop regulations that will prohibit certain investments by U.S. persons involving Chinese or Chinese-owned companies. Those companies would be involved with three types of technology, semiconductors and microelectronics quantum information technology, and AI. The regulations are not yet finalized. We expect them sometime in 2024. But what was significant about this reverse CFIUS regime? I've heard this called reverse CFIUS. Can you tell us what is reverse CFIUS and why do they call it? So the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, also known as CFIUS, conducts reviews of foreign investment in the United States which is subject to national security review. Initially referred as reverse CFIUS, this regime would create a similar committee that would review outbound investments by U.S. persons abroad. Except in the executive order, it has nothing to do with the committee. 
or a regime similar to CFIUS. In fact, these measures are more akin to sanctions, which prohibit certain investment by the U.S. persons in China or subject some of them to notification. Let's talk about enforcement actions in 2023. Sharzad, can you tell me what stood out to you in year 2023 besides meeting me? <laughs> so 2023 was really interesting from an enforcement perspective. This last year, we saw the largest penalty ever um, issued by OFAC in its entire history, which was against Binance, the world's largest um, virtual currency exchange. So how much? $968 million. Wow. Um, yes. And it was for 1.67 million transactions that valued approximately $7.06 million in total. It was, as I mentioned, the largest settlement in OFAC history. And OFAC mentioned three factors in highlighting the reasons for such a large enforcement amount. And those were egregious conduct high volume of transactions, and senior management involvement. As I mentioned, the, the volume of transactions was extremely high, 1.67 million transactions that were conducted in apparent violation of U.S. sanctions. Were there several sanction programs? Yeah, there were a lot. Binance had allowed users in the U.S. to conduct transactions or engage in dealings with persons either in sanctioned or embargoed jurisdictions like Iran, Cuba, North Korea, the DNR and the LNR, and Crimea, but also persons who were subject to individual sanctions. It's interesting because I think the egregiousness of the conduct and the senior management involvement go hand in hand. Binance had taken steps to implement a apparently very robust sanctions compliance program. They had hired a chief compliance officer and they had issued policies and procedures with respect to sanctions compliance. But while doing so at the same time, senior management had apparently been involved in attempts to undermine those very policies. For example, one of the things noted was encouraging users to use the VPN to circumvent geofencing controls. I think it just goes to show that compliance with U.S. is taken very seriously and it is an increasingly costly risk for companies that are engaged in cross-border transactions. Luckily for them, we advise companies <laughs> how to navigate these waters. Yes, we do. Looking forward, we expect the United States to continue focusing on cryptocurrencies exchanges on evasion, on Russia and other areas of the world where there is conflict. We anticipate that the U.S. will continue collaborating with its allies in imposing multilateral restrictions. We'll probably see continuation of sanctions connected to the price cap rules. Do you think the Venezuela relaxation will continue this year. In the early part of 2024, we already saw some shifts in U.S.-Venezuela sanctions. Venezuela's top court ruled last month that opposition presidential candidate Maria Corina Machado was ineligible to hold office, flouting pressure from the U.S. to allow her to run against Maduro. The U.S. then responded by rolling back the authorizations relating to gold exports, but it remains to be seen whether OFAC will take similar steps with respect to the oil and gas general license. 
So this is creating a lot of uncertainty for companies. And Bloomberg estimates that the country's oil production in January increased by about 22% from a year earlier after the U.S. eased sanctions in October. So there is a lot of commercial pressure. And Maduro is betting that this will create pressure for the U.S. to renew the GL. But that's not a guarantee. And uh, the U.S. was very clear at the outset that the renewal of this temporary general license that's set to expire in April is very much contingent on the Maduro regime's activities relating to the electoral process. So that's our sanctions year in review in a nutshell. We should mention that the report will also cover U.K., EU, and Canada. You can find the full report at our website which we will link in this podcast description. Yes. Where you subscribe and add your comment. So now for our weekends in review. How was your weekend? My weekend was amazing. My sister is visiting from Kazakhstan. So she came at night on Saturday and on Sunday we went to the Korean spa. Sunday morning. Morning-ish. 11 a.m. Really? Okay. So how was it? I'm obsessed with the Korean spa. Me too. I, I find sauna and fasting very important. Fasted yeah, as well? Yeah. To detox your body. A lot of people neglect that part of our health. I took her and my mom and we had a great girl time. It was amazing. How long were you there? Until 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. So, listeners, if you have not been to the Korean spa yet, it is an experience. Yes. It's a communal bath. Like, the first step of it is a communal bath that you get Um, in. So, there are a couple of Korean spas in the area. There is King Spa, not sponsored yet, (laughs) and there is Spa World. You go to these rooms, which are heated and have different natural elements that supposedly help your health. Then you get... Korean lunch or dinner, wash yourself, detox, chat, rest, have boba tea. It's so fun. So do you have a favorite room in the sauna rooms? You know how they oh, yes. have a theme? Yes. My favorite is marbles room. Ooh. So there are a bunch of little marbles. It hurts a little bit when you first step into it. Yeah. But then you lay down and they just hug you and you feel like you're on the beach. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Oh. It's so nice. I think that's going to be my next outing. Me and my best friend used to go all the time. (laughs) And then COVID happened. And of course, we stopped going. But it's so nice. What other rooms do they have? Can you remind me? Because I want to remember which one was my favorite. They have a freezer room. No. Which is not my favorite. I never go there. Yeah. But you know in the bath area where they have a cold plunge? Yes. I did that. And now these cold plunge baths are becoming a complete thing when i went to Asheville, uh-huh. we had an airbnb and across the street is a sauna house uh-huh. and the sauna house's whole idea is you go into the ice bath for three minutes or however many minutes you can hold yourself in there and then you go into the hot sauna and you do that a couple of times and the space is supposed to be meditative and everyone sits down quietly in the room and people bring books and everything so my son took a nap I went there for an hour, mm-hmm. did the ice bath, and I can tell you, I really believe in the ice bath. On that positive note, we will conclude our podcast today. Thank you for listening. We were your hosts, Milana Karayanidi 
and Sharsad Norbalucci, and this was the Sanctions Plus podcast, where we offer our smart, dynamic, and nuanced take on sanctions developments around the world. Or, as we say it in the sanctions world, the SDN hot take. Oh, 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 oh,